we all want to know what's in store for us. What will the future bring? How will our lives play out? Will life bring us success and happiness? What about our civilization, or even our entire world? Have you ever stopped to wonder what will happen to the Earth, to our Sun, and even to our entire universe billions of years from now, trillions of years from now, and even farther, as far out as our imaginations can take us? Scientists have wondered about this too, and today we're going on a voyage to the far future of the universe to see what may be in store for us all. This is Spark Dialogue Podcast. You can find us at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or wherever you find your podcasts. Spark Dialogue tells the stories of science and technology and how they relate to our society, ethics, history, philosophy, culture, art, religion, and today, the future. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Looking forward a few million years, maybe even a billion years, you may wonder, are there any threats to life on Earth? After all, we believe that the dinosaurs were wiped out by an asteroid crashing into Earth and changing the composition of the atmosphere so drastically that 75% of all life on Earth was wiped out. Asteroids have, and probably will, continue to hit the Earth. But could all life on Earth be destroyed? One way that this could happen is that a nearby star would come so close to the sun that it would disrupt the Oort cloud, a cloud of rocks and debris circling about 2,000 to 200,000 times farther out from our sun than the Earth is. A nearby passage of a star could hypothetically throw the orbits of these rocks into complete disorder, sending them hurtling towards the inner reaches of the solar system, and possibly at Earth. Could a torrential rainstorm of these rocks wipe out all life on Earth? Dr. Avi Loeb speaks to this possibility. My name is Avi Loeb. I'm the chair of the astronomy department at Harvard University and the director of the Institute for Theory and Computation, uh, as well as the uh, Black Hole Initiative at Harvard. Avi has published four books and over 700 papers on topics such as black holes, the first stars, the search for extraterrestrial life, and the future of the universe. The solar system did pass near other stars uh, in its history, and uh, that could have uh, uh, triggered uh, a change in the number of asteroids that impact the Earth. Uh, but um, there is no risk to life on Earth uh, that will demolish all forms of life on Earth uh, within the age of the universe. Uh, what can happen is uh, something like the extinction of the dinosaurs. Uh, you can have some species being removed from the surface of the Earth. But space is a dangerous place. What about a nearby star exploding at the end of its life? Certainly, we've seen some of these explosions in the distance, a supernova or even more powerful explosion called a gamma ray burst. Could one of these explosions happen near enough to wipe out life on Earth? Uh, there are other catastrophes that one can think of uh, from space. For example, the explosion of a star, a supernova, uh, would drive a shockwave that will propagate our way. Uh, but that, again, uh, in order for that to, to remove life from Earth, uh, it, the supernova needs to be very close. And uh, that's quite unlikely within uh, the age of the universe. Um, another type of catastrophe that one can imagine is a gamma ray burst. That's a much more powerful explosion, usually in the form of a jet that is uh, collimated 
uh, the chance of that happening again um, is very small within uh, the age of the universe. So, so all risks uh, from the sky do not seem to be very threatening at the moment. At the moment. But if you have plans of sticking around for the next few billion years or so, the story might be a little bit different. After all, the sun is already about halfway through its life cycle. Dr. Ethan Siegel joins us. Hi, this is Ethan Siegel, theoretical astrophysicist, author of the world-renowned blog Starts With a Bang, and writer of two books, Beyond the Galaxy and Treknology, the science of Star Trek from Tricorders to Warp Drive. His new book on the topic of the universe before the Big Bang is due out in early 2020. What will happen as the sun ages? How will the sun change? And what will happen as we approach the end of its lifetime? You know, in the long term, it, we we like to look a little bit ahead. And if we only look a little bit ahead, right, if we look ahead to the sun thousands of years from now, hundreds of thousands, millions of years from now, it's going to go through some changes, but nothing really noticeable on a long-term time scale. It's going to appear to remain at approximately the same temperature. But what's going on inside of it is, in fact, changing. The sun is made out of a finite amount of matter. It starts off being made mostly of hydrogen with a little bit of helium sprinkled in there. In the core of the sun, though, it fuses that hydrogen into helium. And as that happens, as it starts to use up that hydrogen fuel in the core, the central region of the core starts to contract, which makes the core heat up even more, which means the rate of fusion in the sun increases over time. If we look back at the sun, at when it first formed, it gave out about 20% less energy than it gives out today. Over the four and a half billion years it's been around, it's burned through approximately the mass of Saturn, converting that much mass via Einstein's E equals MC squared into pure energy that we've received as sunlight. If we go ahead, though, about a billion years to two billion years into the future, the sun's going to heat up by so much that the oceans on planet Earth are going to boil. This is expected to end all life on Earth as we know it. If we look ahead even further and further, maybe about five to seven billion years from now, we're going to find that in the core region of the sun, all of that hydrogen gets used up. All that will be left there is a ball of helium, and that's going to contract down and get so hot that we'll be able to begin fusing helium into carbon. This is going to lead to our sun becoming a red giant to a point that scientists call the helium flash, where we begin fusing helium into carbon. So will the Earth be swallowed up at this point? You know, that's an excellent question. This is something that scientists actually have argued over for a very long time. What we think is going to happen is for sure Mercury is going to get swallowed. For sure, Venus is going to be swallowed. And for certain, Mars is safe. 
the red giant that the sun will make won't get out to the orbit of Mars. We think the current line of thought is that the sun will actually come out to right about where Earth is now. But over the course of the sun's next five to seven billion years, the fact that it starts blowing off its outer layers, the fact that it starts losing significant amounts of mass is going to cause the Earth's orbit to spiral outwards from where it is today. Over time, that means the Earth will move away from the sun. And the current line of thought is that it will actually be 10 to 15 percent farther than the farthest extent of the sun in the red giant phase. So even though we'll be nothing more than a charred corpse of a planet with no atmosphere, no oceans, nothing but a bare rock. We should at least survive. So if you want your legacy to persist far, far past the death of the sun, bury it deep. Any life that might exist at that point, could they move off to the moons of Jupiter or to Mars? And would the temperatures there be good enough for life as we know it to exist? You know, that's a really interesting question because we know that, yeah, Earth is going to be a lousy place. but. Are there other places that could potentially be hospitable? I got bad news for you. I got bad news for your listeners. The amount that the sun is heating up by is going to be tremendous. We're not just talking it'll be 50% hotter, it'll be 10 times hotter, it'll be a 1,000 times hotter. We're looking at a sun that's going to be many thousands of times the luminosity that we receive here on Earth today. So, I would say if you want to go out, Mars is going to be catastrophically hot. The moons of Jupiter, catastrophically hot. Even if you went all the way out to the Kuiper Belt and said, what about those frozen worlds? Like, what about Pluto? Well, bad news, you Pluto fans. When the sun becomes a red giant, Pluto's going to melt. This doesn't sound very promising. After about a billion years of being a red giant, the sun is ready to move on to the next phase of its life. Our sun will come to an end. The outer layers will get blown off into what we call a planetary nebula, which will recycle those heavy elements it produced back into the universe where it can participate in forming future generations of stars. At the same time that the outer layers get blown off, the inner layers contract down. They contract down to form a degenerate object known as a white dwarf. This white dwarf will remain bright and brilliant for many, many trillions of years. It will be approximately half the mass of the sun, but only the physical size of planet Earth. And by time it cools down so that it stops shining that brilliant blue light, it will be shining for trillions upon trillions of years. Most of the other stars in our galaxy will have also ended their lives and gone permanently dark. Around the time that the sun is ending its life, something else spectacular will be going on in the sky. If you're into amateur astronomy, you probably heard about the Andromeda Galaxy. Andromeda is the biggest of the nearby galaxies to us. In fact, it's the only galaxy, besides the nearby Magellanic Clouds, that is big enough that you can see with your naked eye without a telescope. It's part of the local group, which along with the Milky Way and several smaller galaxies, is our cosmic family, 
Galaxies bound together by gravity. In a few billion years, though, our Milky Way and Andromeda are destined to collide. Imagine it, the entire sky taken up by the Andromeda galaxy as it gets closer and closer until finally the two galaxies merge into a fantastic explosion of star formation. What will this be like? As far as the galaxy goes, you you might have a picture in your head of our galaxy as this big mass of spiral arms that comes together with a little bulge in the center, and the spiral arms are just littered with stars. And this actually isn't a super bad picture of the galaxy, but what you don't see in that picture is all of the gas in the Milky Way. If you were to add up all of the mass that's present in our galaxy, even if you were to take all of that mysterious dark matter away, you would find that the overwhelming majority of the mass that's present in our galaxy isn't in the form of stars and solar systems. No, it's in the forms of gas and plasma and dust and stuff that is basically material yet to form new generations of stars. I look at it as its opportunity. Andromeda is the largest galaxy in our local group, where our local group is this enormous collection of galaxies. There's maybe maybe 60 or 70 of them all told, bound together. And Andromeda is the largest, the Milky Way is the second largest galaxy in the local group. These two galaxies combined dominate our region of space, and we're headed towards each other. As you said, we estimate in about 4 billion years, Andromeda and the Milky Way will merge together. When this happens, all of that gas that's just been waiting for an opportunity to form stars is going to create an astronomical event we know as a starburst, where two different galaxies merge together, have a huge burst of star formation, and all of that gas, all of that dust, all of that material creates an enormous new wave of star formation. So the stars that we're going to build there they will be our future generations of stars. Unfortunately, for those of you hoping for a successful long-term future, this is actually the last gasp of our local group. When we get that extreme burst of star formation, that should actually transform the Milky Way and Andromeda from two spiral galaxies into two elliptical galaxies. Elliptical galaxies are like a giant cosmic beehive where the stars buzz around the center in an enormous elliptical shape. But after all that star formation completes, there'll be virtually no gas left. We already have a name for this future galaxy. After Andromeda and the Milky Way merge together, we call it Milkdromeda. And Milkdromeda is going to consist of over a trillion stars. 
But once that first few million years, 10 million years, 100 million years go by, all those bright, brilliant, massive stars, the blue ones, the ones tens or even hundreds of times the mass of our sun, they will all have gone supernova and died away. All we will be left with are stars like our own sun and ones even smaller and less massive. If you ever saw Blade Runner, you might remember that quote that the flame that burns twice as hot only burns half as long. This is even worse for stars than it is for Blade Runner. This is that when a star is twice as massive as another, it lives only about one eighth as long. A star that's a hundred times the mass of our sun, instead of living for 10 billion years like our sun will, it's only going to live for somewhere in the ballpark of one to 10 million years. They actually burn through their life extremely quickly. So, yeah, we'll get this huge burst of new star formation and it will be like an awesome firework show. There will be new stars all over the place of all different colors, all different varieties and all different lifetimes. Over the next few million years, pop, 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 they're all going to go supernova. They're all going to die. All of the most massive ones will disappear. And what will you be left with? just what we call today a red and dead galaxy where all the hot bright blue stars have died away and we're left with the whitish ones the yellow ones the orange ones and most frequently the reddish ones with no new gas at all to form new stars that's the future of our galaxy that's the future of our local group if you were to come by in another 10 billion years, less than double the age of the universe, by the way, all you would find where you now find our local group is one enormous old elliptical galaxy. As all of this is happening, life outside our galaxy will also be changing dramatically. Right now, if we look out at distant galaxies, they are moving away from us. This can be traced back to our cosmic origins, the Big Bang, which was like a giant explosion sending matter outward. It was so powerful that galaxies are still moving away from each other today. Eventually, what we would expect is that gravity would slow this movement down as galaxies pull on one another. We would expect that they would slow and maybe eventually stop and even begin to attract one another. But this actually isn't what astronomers see. Astronomers instead see distant galaxies speeding up, moving faster and faster away from us. This is as surprising as throwing a ball into the air, and instead of having it slow down and return to your baseball mitt, it instead starts going faster and faster away from the Earth, until it leaves the Earth's atmosphere completely. Why does this happen? The answer is this mysterious force called dark energy. We don't know what dark energy is, but we do know that it is pushing galaxies away from one another. And it's quite possible that if dark energy continues to push galaxies away from one another, eventually our universe would be a very different place. You get a repulsive gravitational force that uh, is pushing galaxies away from each other at an ever-increasing speed. And so what that means is that all the galaxies we see around us, uh, they are not only receding away from us right now, but uh, they're recession uh, speed will increase with time 
and eventually will reach the speed of light. And that means that any signal sent from those galaxies towards us will eventually, at some point in the future, will not be able to bridge the gap that is being opened between those galaxies and us. And so even the speed of light is not fast enough to communicate between galaxies as space is expanding much more rapidly. And the way to think of this is just like a balloon that has ants walking on its surface at some speed. But if you blow the balloon fast enough, then the ants will be separated away from each other much faster than they can walk. And so the ants are uh, equivalent to photons or particles of light that move at some speed. And if space itself is expanding like the balloon very rapidly, then um, the photons or the particles of light cannot really bridge uh, the gap that is being opened between galaxies as they move away from each other. And so what that means is that in the very distant future, we will be left on our own, surrounded by just vacuum, and no signal will reach us from distant galaxies that are not bound to us. When this happens, what would our own galaxy be like? Once the universe ages by um, another factor of 10 or so, uh, we won't be able to see uh, any of the galaxies that we currently see. That means that uh, when the universe is uh, about uh, 100 billion years old, uh, it would look very different than it does now. Now, it so happens that uh, the most common stars uh, in our Milky Way galaxy are not like the sun. They are much uh, less massive than the sun, uh, about a 10%, a tenth of the mass of the sun, and they live much longer. So the nearest star to the sun is uh, Proxima Centauri, and it has 12% of the mass of the sun, and it will live for trillions of years. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the lowest mass stars can live up to 10 trillion years, which is a thousand times longer than the sun, 10 to the power 13 years. And so these stars will still be around uh, when we enter that phase where um, the expansion of space will carry all galaxies far away from us out of view. Imagine life in a universe like this. You see stars within your own galaxy, but beyond that, it's just inky blackness. If you were an astronomer on a world within this future universe, would you have any hope of knowing that our universe used to be filled with galaxies just like your own? Would you know about our cosmic origins and the Big Bang? Would you even know that dark energy is within the universe? If we think about the distant future, eventually all this light will uh, fade away and we won't be able to receive uh, any any signal from uh, the early epoch of uh, the universe. And so we won't be able to verify by looking at the sky whether there was a Big Bang. We won't be able to see other galaxies and, and notice that they're expanding away from us. And so I was quite worried about this um, that happened to be a time in January, um, uh, some five years ago, when uh, there was a major snowstorm and Harvard was closed, fortunately, uh, and I didn't have to teach that day. And so I was staying at home and I had the luxury of uh, being able to think about this, this problem for a full day without interruption. And then I realized that, in fact, 
there is hope for uh, cosmology also in the future uh, because uh, our own uh, galaxy is uh, ejecting stars into space. Uh, these are called hypervelocity stars. Uh, they originally uh, reside in near the center of the Milky Way, near the black hole there. And if a pair of such stars, a binary star system, comes close enough to the black hole, one star can be ripped apart and sent on a trajectory away from the galaxy, while the other one gets more tightly bound to the black hole. And so as a result, you end up with stars that are escaping from the Milky Way. And if you think about those stars that are escaping once every 100,000 years, they could be looked at just like galaxies of the type that Hubble, Edwin Hubble looked at to figure out the expansion of the universe. So now you have those stars running away from the Milky Way. And in principle, in the distant future, trillions of years from now, we can monitor the motion of these stars as they escape from the Milky Way. And we can see that their recession away from us is speeding up just the way that galaxies do right now. And so we can infer the expansion of space from the motion of these stars that are expelled from the Milky Way. And so there is hope in the distant future uh, to learn about this uh, accelerated expansion of the universe, even if there will be no galaxies outside the Milky Way. And uh, I wrote a paper in which um, I explained that based on that, we could, in principle, uh, figure out everything about the past because we could still look at our Milky Way galaxy and uh, see evidence for uh, stars in it and uh, figure out, you know, if we reverse the movie backwards in time, what may have been uh, in the universe early on. And so in principle, there is hope for cosmology even a trillion years from now. If new stars need gas to form, what happens when that gas runs out? Will the entire universe, like our galaxy, eventually run out of the raw materials needed to form stars? In order to keep forming new stars, what you have to do is you have to have fuel for those stars. So what is that fuel? Well, that fuel is gas, specifically hydrogen gas. When we created the universe after the hot big bang, when we first made neutral atoms, you could have counted up every single neutral atom by number and you would have found that the universe is overwhelmingly made of hydrogen. You would have found that 92% by number of all of the atoms in the universe were hydrogen atoms. Over time, that number drops and drops and drops because hydrogen fuses together inside stars into helium and on and on and on up the food chain of elements, which we know as the periodic table, and becomes these heavier elements. This is good for human beings and life on Earth because we need those heavy elements in order to create chemistry and biology and all of these interesting things that happen here on our world. But this is bad from a long-term perspective. If you were to speculate into the far future and say, what's happening to all the stars in the universe? Well, if you look at the universe from when it was, say, 
a few billion years old, you would have found that star formation actually reached a peak when the universe was only perhaps three billion years old. Ever since then, it's been declining. Star formation has gotten less and less and less as the universe has aged. Right now, the star formation rate in the universe, although it's still pretty substantial, is only about, oh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say it's about 5% what it was at its peak. As we go farther and farther into the future, that star formation rate is continuing to drop. Sure, it might be a while before we use up absolutely all of the hydrogen gas that's around because as stars age, like we said, they expel their outer layers. A star like our sun might send out a bunch of hydrogen back into the universe. Eventually, over enough time, the gas clouds that it and other stars produce may collapse and form new stars, but these will be rarer and rarer and rarer. By time, roughly 10 to the 14, 10 to the 15 years go by. That's a hundred trillion to a quadrillion years for those of you who like big numbers. Um, we will likely have formed the final star that we expect to exist in our galaxy from pristine gas. And this isn't just happening in the local group. This is happening all over the universe. In fact, in galaxy clusters, which have more galaxies and more mass, we can expect star formation to end sooner because large clumps of matter have more chances of these big bursting mergers, which are going to exhaust their supply of gas. If we want to go to a place where we're more likely to have stars exist for longer and longer amounts of time, then perhaps ironically, we need to find a place where star formation is very slow and steady. We need to find an undisturbed lone spiral galaxy all by its lonesome. Very few new stars would be born. Those stars that exist will slowly die off, beginning with the largest and hottest and ending with the smallest and coolest. Now our timescales truly grow immense. We enter what's called the Degenerate Era a time when the universe is taken up by stellar remnants, the degenerate forms of matter like white dwarfs, neutron stars, and black holes. Once that happens, the universe will be a very different place, filled with stellar corpses. Without stars to provide energy for life, will life itself have any hope of continuing? You know... I, I always hesitate to be hopeless, right? You, you say in the far future, right? All the stars that ever existed have burned out and they're just these stellar corpses, white dwarfs for most stars, the more massive ones. Maybe they became neutron stars or black holes. What hope is there? And the answer is I, I actually have some hope for you. There are failed stars out there in the universe. There are what we call brown dwarfs. These are stars, or they would be stars, if only they had reached this critical mass threshold. The critical threshold is about 8% the mass of the sun. 
But there are plenty of brown dwarfs that are a little less than 8% the mass of the sun. In fact, we have a few of them that we've discovered in the last couple of decades within about 10 light years of Earth. Over time, any star system even failed stars in a binary orbit will in spiral and merge together. We have binary brown dwarfs that we know of right here in our own galaxies. And if those binary brown dwarfs, these failed stars, suddenly in spiral and reach this critical point where they merge together, you can get a new star that way. This can happen not only within a hundred trillion or a quadrillion years, but many hundreds of quadrillions or even quintillions of years down the road. So don't give up just because there are no stars left right now. These failed stars are going to get a second chance at life in the universe. We just need to find a way to stick around long enough so that we can wait for that to happen. If we could, for example, put a spacecraft with incubators and DNA inside of it in the orbit around a binary brown dwarf system and we waited long enough and set up some automated system where bam the brown dwarfs merge and now we get the signal and now our instruments all come online what's going to happen the fascinating answer is we might just have a new shot at life in the universe At this point, most planets are flung from their host stars through gravitational interactions here and there. And on even larger timescales, about 1 to the 20th years from now, that's a 1 with 20 zeros behind it, most of the stellar remnants themselves are ejected from their galaxies. What this means is that the galaxies will completely unravel, and what you are left with is lone planets and stellar remnants floating through the dark universe on their own. As the universe gets larger and more dilute, and the timescales grow even more immense, we can ask ourselves, will the basic building blocks of matter last forever? So we don't um, know um, for sure how long it would take for protons to decay because um, that involves uh, extension of uh, the standard model of particle physics, but uh, cu the current limits imply that uh, protons uh, will live for at least 10 to the power of 32 years, which is a very long time into the future. If all of these particles decay, that means that the planets and the stellar remnants, such as white dwarves and neutron stars, will eventually come apart. But what about the black holes? So black holes, uh, according uh, to Bekenstein and Hawking, um, they do evaporate and they will leave no relic behind, uh, as far as we know. And uh, so it's not only matter that will disappear, but even uh, compact objects like black holes will not be around anymore. Uh, in the very distant future, they will convert into radiation. Um, and radiation has a tendency of um, fa fading away um, as uh, space expands. And uh, that would mean that eventually the universe will be empty and and cold and boring. This depressing, lonely, dark fate may be what's in store for the universe over epically long timescales, some 1 to the 100 years in the future. That's a 1 with 100 zeros behind it.
But it's worth noting that perhaps our universe will have a different future. So when we look at the universe and we look at what is it doing today, right? That's we have dark energy and dark energy looks to be a cosmological constant. And if all of this is true, then sure, we get the boring vanilla fate that we all know and have come to accept that, yep, the universe will expand forever and ever and ever. Well, that's if dark energy is a cosmological constant. But what if it changes over time? And like you said, there are many possible ways that it can change over time. For one, dark energy might not be a constant. It might be something that gets stronger over time. What happens if dark energy gets stronger? Well, that will mean that structures that are bound today, like our local group, will become unbound in the future. As dark energy increases in strength, it's going to be able to tear these structures apart. The stars on the outskirts of Milkdromeda will get flung off first, and then the innermost stars will get flung off in rapid succession. The smaller bound structures, like star clusters, they'll get torn apart, and individual stars will get ejected from star clusters. Solar systems will stick around a little longer, but even they will be torn apart. What we'll find is that solar systems like planets, first in the outermost regions and then in the inner regions, will get ejected from their planetary systems. And finally, in the very last moments of the universe, in the final few hours, we will see individual planets themselves and eventually the atoms and subatomic particles that make everything up will all be torn apart. This fate of the universe is known as the Big Rip, and it is one of the most fascinating and terrifying possibilities out there. You can say, okay, well, what if I don't want things to end in a rip? Is there any hope that there could be a different fate? And the answer is sure. What if Dark energy gets stronger and stronger and stronger. This is going to fill space itself with progressively more energy. And this energy will be inherent to the fabric of space itself. Well, guess what? When our universe was born, we think it had a tremendous amount of energy inherent to space itself. That was a period known as cosmic inflation. So many theorists have thrown around the idea that what about when inflation ended and the hot Big Bang was the result, if dark energy gets stronger and stronger and stronger, could this potentially lead to a new epic that was like inflation that led to another hot Big Bang? People call this either a cyclic or a rejuvenated universe, and this is another possibility. And finally, there's the possibility of, hey, what if dark energy isn't a constant and doesn't increase in strength, but rather decreases in strength and gets weaker and weaker and weaker and maybe 
even reverses its sign and becomes negative instead of positive? What happens if dark energy changes direction? And in that instance, if that's what happens, then the universe will expand. It will expand and expand and expand and reach some maximum extent. And then all of a sudden, when it crosses that critical threshold and flips sign, the universe will begin contracting again. And all of these distant galaxies that we thought were going to be lost and gone forever, they're actually going to come back into view and the universe will recollapse and end in a beautiful catastrophe known as the Big Crunch. So even though right now our fate looks like, yep, Dark energy is a constant, universe expands forever, different uh, galaxy clusters and groups will remain bound to themselves but unbound from each other. That looks like our fate today to the best of our knowledge, but there is not necessarily – it's not necessarily fair to draw the conclusion to say this is going to be our fate arbitrarily far into the future. We have many, many possibilities, and it's going to take future missions designed to make the exact measurements to figure out what our fate is in order to find out. The big one I'm looking forward to is NASA's flagship astrophysics mission of the next decade, W First. This may leave you feeling a bit odd inside. Many of these potential futures are bleak, ends that consist of eternal darkness, or everything we know being pulled apart, or even ending in fire. Where does this leave hope for life? Our perspective, though, is a funny thing. We look out at the world and the universe around us, and we can't help believing that this is the way things should be, the exact conditions needed for life to exist. But maybe that's not in fact the case. There's an interesting short story I read one time. It's called The We Who Sing by Stephen Baxter. It takes place in the very, very early universe, at a time when the universe was so dense that not even particles of light could travel freely. Since photons can't escape, we can't actually see this era of the universe with our telescopes. It was very hot, very dense, all in all, a very different place than what we see in the universe today. The story is about life forms that live during this era of the universe, drawing energy from the waves that travel through space. But some of these life forms begin to realize that their unique period of time is coming to an end. Things are becoming less dense. Soon, the density of the universe will drop so low that photons of light can travel freely, and the universe will become transparent for the first time in the history of the universe. And their way of life will come to an end. Naturally, they're terrified. Is this the end of life? Well, for their way of life, it is. But some of them are brave enough to stick around through the end and end up being part of the birth of the first star. We may not know exactly what the future of life is, but if things get interesting, I have a feeling that somehow life may find a way, and perhaps it may not even comprehend how life could have existed in a universe that is filled with stars.
Spark Dialogue Podcast is produced by me, Elizabeth Fernandez. You can find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com. Thanks for joining us, and see us in two weeks for another episode. Some of the background music that you heard is produced by me. Other background music are clips from songs such as Impact Lento by Kevin McLeod, To Fail by Montplacier, Harbor by Kai Angle, and Quiet Hours by Only Meath. And those are provided by the Creative Commons license. Links to those songs and more information can be found in the show notes at sparkdialogue.com.